Well, I want to encourage you to get your Bibles open. If you have a Bible from the pew, looks like this, then if you want to open it up to page 894, if you don't have this kind of a Bible, you have your own Bible, let me encourage you to open up to John, the fourth gospel in the New Testament, chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verse 12. Now, I'm going to be bringing a lot of scripture in besides or in addition to verse 12, but our, our main centered verse is going to be for verse 12. And I want to encourage you while you read that, can you just think about this for a moment? Can you remember the very first words that God ever spoke in the Bible? Now just think through that. What are the first words that God ever spoke in the Bible? You may have guessed the answer. Here it is. And God said, let there be light. The very first words. Now listen, when you read a book, and the book that did this to me the most was that depressing book that I had to read in high school called The Grapes of Wrath. That was an incredibly good book, but it was incredibly depressing. And it had one of the, one of the best opening paragraphs ever. Well, the way that an author begins and the way that an author, that an author ends is vitally important. Let there be light. So God created light. And he pronounced it good, and then you remember the story, you can look if you want, it's chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He separated the light from the darkness. So God created it, pronounces it good, and separates the light from the dark. Now that's a literal act of creation, but there's a metaphorical meaning for separating light from darkness as well. And Isaiah begins to get to this in his book, chapter 60. He says, or he writes about the coming Messiah, Arise, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen by, upon you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now listen, Isaiah isn't referring to physical darkness here. He's not referring to physical light here. He, so, so it really begs the question, what does thick darkness mean? Now when a preacher begins to ask questions, I've asked you two of them now. First words of, that God ever spoke from the Bible. And what does thick darkness mean? This is a way to get you involved in the sermon, and you got to really think through this. So when you think of the answer to that, what does thick darkness mean? Don't do what I often have done. Put your mind in neutral and wait for the answer that he's going to give you. Let's think through this. What does thick darkness mean? I'm going to get at it through what Paul wrote, Romans chapter 1. Now listen to this, because this sweeps all of humanity into it. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. So what can be made known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Now I'm going to show you the metaphorical meaning for thick darkness. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made. So all creation shows God. I mean, that incredible tree that is now turning with this canopy of multicolored leaves, that demonstrates the diverse beauty and variety within the Godhead. It, it really demonstrates God's desire that there be more than monochrome. 
It's all clearly perceived. So that they are without excuse. Now listen to this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's the metaphorical meaning of darkness. It means that the heart, the mind, gets darkened. Thick darkness is the sin-darkened heart. So when the Bible speaks of darkness, well, there is a literal application in some cases in the Bible, but it's often meaning it metaphorically. By the way, we speak like this, right? If you're not aware of, it, of an event that was coming up and you miss it, you tell somebody, well, I was kept in the dark. Nobody told me about it. Or if you were taught something and finally you understand it, you say, I've been enlightened. So we use dark, we use light, we use darkness and light. We use it metaphorically. The Bible does too. It is the sin-darkened heart. That's what darkness is that wants nothing to do with God. And we can all identify with this, whether personally or somebody that you love. That just wants nothing to do with God. I had somebody this morning at the men's breakfast say, I've got a friend that's an agnostic. And that person just really doesn't care, wants nothing to do with God. Well, that's a darkened heart. It's the sin-darkened world that intentionally obscures the glory of God in all things. So you get the biochemist looking through a microscope, and his conclusion is the theory of microevolution. That's a sin-darkened heart. The humanist gazing at a work of art hanging on a museum wall, and they're just filled with wonder at humankind's achievement. That's a sin-darkened heart. Well, it doesn't bring glory to God. It brings glory to our own essence. So the spiritual darkness has settled over the whole earth, and it affects every single person. Now, we've got to start there, because really what I'm going to do today is unfold the gospel, and I'm going to show you that at the very end of this message. So we begin here, that there is a spiritual darkness. It's settled over the entire earth. It affects every person, and if people are going to be saved out of that darkness, then God has to, again, separate light from darkness. He's got to bring light and isn't this what paul begins to say in second corinthians 4 for god who said let light shine out of darkness genesis 1 3 has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ so the very same creating god from genesis 1 is still doing this and he's still bringing light out of darkness because he is the light of the world. And that's exactly where we're going to find him in John chapter 8, verse 12. The entire emphasis in the gospel of John is that Jesus is a light and he has come into this world. But what does that mean? My third question. What does that really mean that Jesus is the light of the world? Let me give you three ways to understand that listen this is scratching the surface there is so much more to this it was painstakingly obvious to me that i was leaving so much on the table when i concluded this sermon when i wrote it this week so i'm going to trust that you're going to go deeper with this but let me give you three things number one jesus is the light and i'm going to explain what that means jesus is the light here it is ready get your bibles open john 8 verse 12 here's what he says 
Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Now there are seven times in John's gospel that Jesus combines the phrase, I am, with a metaphor. And every time that he does this, he reveals a different facet of his nature and a different work that he will do as the savior of the world. So every time, now listen, you got to get this because Pastor Tim Van Summeren showed last week, I am the bread of life. He gave one facet and one work of Christ as the savior of the world. I'm going to give you the second one. We've got five more after today. And remember, the I am, that's the reference to, that's the Old Testament name, Yahweh. Which in the Old Testament was the name above all names, the eternal, personal, faithful to redeem and save God. The names matter in the Bible. Names describe something. Names refer to something. Yahweh is the God who never changes. He's personal. He's faithful. He's the Redeemer God. And Jesus is taking that name, and Paul says he has the name above all names in the New Testament. He is the Lord. He is Yahweh. And here he reveals that I am Yahweh, who is the light of the world. I'm the light of the world to every age and every nation. But what is significant about this? Okay, it's one thing. I just unpacked a little bit of what I am the light of the world means. I mean, very superficial. But what does it mean? How does it apply to us? How does this impact us? What's the facet of the nature of Christ? What's the work of the Savior to the world in this name, the light of the world? Well, let me give you three ways to understand that. Here's the first one. The light exposes the darkness. Now let's just substitute Jesus. Jesus exposes the darkness. Now, you're going to get this. I'm going to give you three ways to understand this. And I think I'm pretty confident that in each and every one of those three ways, you're really going to be able to identify whether you've even experienced it specifically or not. If you are a hunter, then you surely know what it's like to be out in the woods, up in your tree stand in the early morning while it is still dark. And as dawn approaches, and by the way, it always gets a little colder before the sun comes up. It's very interesting. But as dawn begins to approach, you observe that everything that was hidden before, everything that was indistinguishable in the dark, very, very slowly begins to become visible. It's an amazing, slow phenomenon when you're hunting. So there's a period of time when you're hunting that you really force yourself, don't shoot at something that you really can't tell what it is. I was hunting one time. Man, it looked like a very, very nice deer. Ended up being a lady walking her dog through the woods. I still wanted to shoot her because my hunting day was done. Isn't that terribly unloving as a pastor? That was actually a joke. See, y'all are a rough crowd. Every other congregation would have laughed. In a different thought, let me give you number two. You're going to get this. You're going to get it more clearly. In a different thought, what does it mean? Jesus is the light of the world. Remember, the light exposes the darkness. In a different thought, parents, listen, I know, I know you're going to understand this. You can identify with this. You can identify with the horror 
of opening your teenager's bedroom door and turning on the light and seeing the chaos and the mess. Right? I mean, come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? And you wonder why you even looked. The light, the light exposed what, in this case, would best be hidden. Let me give you one more. And I've shared this before. I used to live in Lynchburg, Virginia. Had three roommates. We lived in a, an apartment complex called Woodhaven Apartments. And we weren't the cleanest of guys, I admit it. But that changed in one night. I'll tell you what happened. In the middle of the night, I walked out into the kitchen to get a drink of water, and I turned on the light. And there on the floor, on the countertops, scurrying under the stove and the fridge, was an armada, a flock, a gaggle, a herd, I don't know what you want to call it, of cockroaches. Everywhere. I mean, it was like a moving carpet across the floor of our kitchen. Cleaning commenced immediately in the middle of that very night. You see, what happens is light exposes, and what it reveals in the hearts of men and women often make us recoil. Listen, it's not always very comfortable to listen to an exhortive preacher who is unpacking the Word of God because sometimes the light from the Word of God reveals what's in your life that is not adding up to what the Word of God says, and you walk out of there and you really didn't like that. You kind of recoiled from that. The darkness within us is sin. And when the light of the world shines on a sinful heart, the person can finally see what they could not see before. Now listen, you need to know this theologically. I, Tim Ackley, have no capacity in my natural person to see and loathe sin. I have no capacity. If not for the light of the world, which illuminates and shines and reveals. This is why David prayed, search me, O God, and see if there is any wicked or offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. He had to pray that. David can't see his own sin. You cannot see your own sin unaided by the Spirit of God. Neither can I. God must reveal it. God must expose it. We've all got to get in the habit. God, search us. Let the light of the world jesus through his spirit reveal what is not pleasing to you however and i really got to teach us this sin is much much deeper than merely wrong behaviors it is selfishness it is rebellion it is the internal motivation for the gratification of me at the expense of god and other people that's sin sin is not just the things that i do that i shouldn't have done or the things i should have done that i did not do that is sinful action but the root cause of that is i've got a heart just like you do that wants my way more than god's way and i'd like to go to war and i I'm in rebellion and I climb up on the throne and I say God pleasantly move over or unpleasantly get off I'm going to rule the kingdom that's sin sin moves you to war against God so a sinful heart is a heart at war with God it's one in full rebellion with the Lord of the universe you see what happens is this if you don't understand how deep sin goes 
then your eyes focus on your behaviors. And when your eyes begin to focus on your behaviors, then it brings in a system called moralism. I've got to try harder to do this. I've got to try harder to not do this. And all of a sudden, you're back to your own power, and you're in a losing battle. But when you begin to see sin is the fountain deep down within me that is gushing forth rebellion, that says, I know what I want better than God knows what I want, and I'm going to grow grab it and I'm going to take it and I'm going to bring it to my life, then it produces wrong behavior. The only solution is the gospel. The only solution is the power of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. First thing he has to do is expose it so you can see it. But he does the second thing. Remember, what we're trying to do is we're trying to answer what's it mean to us that Jesus is the light of the world. Well, the second thing is, first, he exposes it. Secondly, the light condemns the darkness. This is different. Listen, I know people that see their sin, and they're really not very bothered by it. They're okay with it. They can see that they're kind of selfish people, and they laugh it off. So there's something else that Jesus has to do, not just expose it, he needs to condemn it, and that condemnation is what the light brings to the darkness. Now listen, here's what the wisdom of this world will tell you. Now, you're going to hear this over and over and over, and you'll hear it from almost every religion. You will hear it from every religion other than Christianity. Here it is. The problem that you're suffering is outside of you, And the solution is inside of you. That's the world's message. That's the world's wisdom. The problems are outside of you. The solution is inside of you. Therefore, the world teaches, you need but to unlock your potential. And you need to connect to your resources and the energies that are available to you. So try yoga. Try transcendental meditation. Try karma beliefs try baha'i faith baha'i religion i mean there's all kinds of things that the world does to tell you that the problem is outside of you the solution is inside of you you know what the gospel does it completely reverses that see the gospel says that the problem is inside of us it's called sin and the solution is outside of us his name is jesus And there is no way to reverse that and to truly experience transformation. So listen to what Isaiah 59 says. Your iniquities, it's another word for sins, have made a separation between you and your God. You see, this is what sin does. Sin always separates. Listen, if you're married, you know this. You know when you get in a fight, things are really awkward around each other until somehow you find a way to patch things up. If you've got kids and they go to the door, their bedroom slamming the door because they're angry at something you told them to do, you understand this, kids. You understand the separation that sin brings. Well, it separates vertically as well. Your sins have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Therefore, justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light 
And behold, darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those in full vigor. We are like dead men. This is what the darkness does. It was caused by sin. It creates separation from God. He hides his faith. face. We lose our strength, and we have no hope until the light of the world comes upon us all right so i'm trying to convince you i'm trying to help you understand that the light of the world condemns the darkness i'm going to give you the perfect example of this i don't think there's a better one it is noon jesus is on the cross the Bible says that darkness came over the land from noon until 3 p.m., three hours. What happened in those three hours? The Father took the sins of every single person from Adam, listen, from Adam, through Abraham, through Isaac, through David, through Elijah, through John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul, Tim Ackley, you, every single person that would ever put their faith in God through Christ, every single person who ever put their faith in God, the Father would take their sins and he would pour them into the soul of Jesus at noon on the cross. And darkness came and separation occurred. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sin brings separation. And for the first time in all eternity, the Father and the Son, while maintaining their relationship, could not look upon one another with favor and blessing. There's no other way to interpret forsaken me. Not satisfactorily. There was darkness over the land, over the whole land, until the ninth hour. The light of the world exposes darkness in us, that's Jesus, and in the world, but even more, it condemns us, rendering us without excuse. Even Jesus was condemned in that moment because he was the sin bearer, though he was perfect and spotless and undefiled. So we all know the tendency to try and excuse our faults or to rationalize our mistakes but listen sin cannot be excused it cannot be explained away no one can squirm out from underneath the weight of its guilt we stand before god utterly guilty without excuse without the ability to blame anyone else not our parents not our spouse not our society not our neighbor we have we have nothing with which to barter god with and everything we thought was good about us here's what the light does it exposes that good thing those good things as unrighteous what the bible calls filthy rags listen if you can understand one thing I hope it's more than one thing, but from this sermon, it's this. Everything you think is so good about you, and your own natural self, I'm talking about your own natural self, to God, it looks like a filthy rag. Please allow me to be explicit, because this is what the Bible means. It's the rags that a woman would use every 28th day 
and they would take them and they would burn them. That's what God says your best day looks like in the light of his holiness. And when he exposes our hearts, it could be terrifying, right? Listen, we recoil from this. But when he condemns our hearts, people get angry. And look what they try to do, John 8, 59. Can you look at your text? He did this with the Pharisees. He exposed and condemned them, so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. These aren't just little stones that they wanted to drive him away. They wanted to kill him. So the light exposes, the light condemns the darkness. Look at the, the third and final one, the light opposes the darkness. I want you to remember the, the ten plagues. Remember the ten plagues of Exodus that God brought upon Egypt. Egypt would not let the Israelites leave. The ninth plague was darkness. Do you remember that one? It was the ninth one. It was before the most heinous of the plagues. The death of the firstborn, but the ninth plague was darkness. And we might be tempted to think, what's the big deal about dark? I mean, it's not that bad. Let me read it to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses did this, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They didn't see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. Now listen to this. But all the people of Israel had lights where they lived. You ever notice that? Listen, have you ever taken a tour in a cave system, and you're at the very depths of as far as they're going to take you in that cave, and then the tour guide prepares you and says, we're going to turn the lights out? And you're going to see how dark it is. And when those lights go out, you understand then at that precise moment, darkness is something you can feel. It's oppressive. It's almost a physical matter. In fact, listen, i got to tell you this. Darkness is not merely a default condition when there is no light. It's a created thing. What Isaiah says, I form light and create darkness. Create, God created darkness. It's a physical property of creation. It's not just when there isn't any light. Darkness, God created it. But the light is in opposition to the darkness, and we see this from the Apostle Paul. You are the children of light, he says to the Christian, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So, listen, a person is either of the light or of the darkness. There's only two options. John chapter 1, verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's a, there's a battle, there is a, an opposition, oppositional factor here. So look at it again. Jesus says, I am, and what's he say he is? I am the light of the world. He does more than just opposes the darkness, he overcomes it. Now listen, I want you to hang on there for a moment because I'm not sure I'm really getting this to you. Jesus does more than expose and condemn. He actually opposes the darkness. He battles it. He overcomes it. Now I want you to imagine this. Imagine you're in that cave system again. You're on that tour. The, the guide turns the light out. And then he says over the PA system, okay, I'm going to turn it back on. Now I want you to imagine this. He flips the switch and a battle begins between light and darkness. One kind of moves over the other, then recedes. The outcome of the victor is in doubt. I mean, listen, that never happens. 
That never happens. The very second, the very millisecond, the very instantaneous moment the light comes on, darkness has no choice but to flee. This is the power of the light. It's the power of the light of the world. The very moment that a sinner puts his or her trust in Jesus Christ, light floods the soul, illuminating the mind, filling the heart with hope, with purpose. And in that very moment, you are brought into the great mission of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to see in point number two. You ready? The first one was, I am the light. Point number two is, Jesus is the light of the world. Now, this is so fascinating for me. You want to know what gets Pastor Tim really excited. What I'm about to share with you is what I really get excited about when I study. John chapter 8, 12, verse 12, it's spoken by Jesus He's at the treasury, if you read the uh, text, he's in the treasury that's located in the court of women in the temple of Jerusalem. Big court, this is as far inward to the temple uh, that women could go, Israelite women. Men were able to be there as well, it's where the treasury boxes were, all 13 of them. Big court. And this is the final day, it seems, of the eight-day festival of tabernacles. This is Israel's most joyful feast. It's the third main feast. It's the final of the three. It's when all the people within 20 to 25 miles, all the men and boys over 12, and all, a lot of the women, a lot of the mothers and sisters, families, groups, towns would all come to Jerusalem. It was, they, had, they had celebrations that were unique to this festival. Two of them, actually. The pouring of the water, that's one. But the second one pertains to our passage. It was called the Ceremony of Lights. It's when the four great lamps, the candelabra, within the court of the, of the women were lit. Now listen, these lamps, now look at me for a moment. You've got to just imagine this. These lamps, each of the four, were 73 feet tall. At the top of them were four bowls on each lamp, so 16 in all. Filled with pure olive oil, they took the old discarded robes of the priests and used them for the wicks. Young priests in training would climb up these gargantuan ladders and they would pour the olive oil into these bowls and they would light it every evening at the festival of tabernacles. It was to be a display of light that brought joy. In fact, one person wrote this, he who has not beheld the celebration has never seen joy in his life. See, the ceremony, the lighting of these lamps, symbolized God's leading of Israel for 40 years by the pillar of fire. And also his glorious presence that the Jews called the Shekinah glory that filled the tabernacle, the Solomon's temple. But another symbolic meaning was this. You ready? And this is point number two. It symbolized God's mission to Israel, that they would be a light to the Gentiles. You know what's interesting? The last night of the eight-day festival of tabernacles, when it came to, the, to a close, one of the lamps was left unlit. One of the three. And it symbolized the Jewish people's hope that one day the Messiah would come. It's called the Messiah lamp. See, the connection of Jesus underneath these candelabra in the court of women, which is where they were located next to the treasury, 
speaking, I am the light of the world, he is declaring, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that that lamp is referring to. I'm the light of the world. Not just to the Jewish people. Listen, to the, I am the light of the world. All the nations. Yet no matter how often the Old Testament declared this, Israel seemed to miss it. Isaiah 49, 6, I will make you as a light for the, for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. But unlike those stationary great candles in the court of women, the light of the world never goes out and he never stays still. That, this is why whoever follows me means he's moving. He's in movement to people that he's not yet reached into their darkness and shed the knowledge of the Savior, the good news of the gospel. He's moving, and if you want to be one of Christ's disciples, you follow him. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Whoever follows me means puts their trust in me and obeys me and gets on mission. And where he goes into the world, opening blind eyes everywhere he goes so that people can believe and see. And this is exactly what you're going to see in the very next chapter with a blind man. He demonstrates healing a blind man born that way from birth. And there he said, verse 4 of chapter 9, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So to follow Jesus is to do the work of God, bringing the light to the darkness of this world, which is why he says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world, church. Let your light shine before others. How? Well, why? So that they may see your good works. That's how. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know what we've done in the Democratic Republic of the Congo? We've invested as a church more than $250,000 that's been matched, so over $500,000, half a million, into bringing the light into a region that we believe is one of the darkest places on this planet, full of suffering. In fact, Jim Finari, who, who attends this congregation, and Jeff Graham, who attends here Sunday morning, are over there now, and they're getting ready to build, they're in the process of making bricks to build the Restoring Hope Center for the Restoring Hope Ministries, where we partner with the churches in that region to help the suffering know the gospel. We're bringing the light into the darkness. This is what we do when we follow Jesus. And when the, where the light of the world goes, I want you to see this, this is the third point. His people follow in the light of life is the result. Is my final point. Jesus gives the followers, his followers, the light of life. Look at John chapter 1 verse 4 in the screens behind me. It says, John, John said, in him, in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. You know in the Bible that light leads to life and darkness leads to death? I'll show you that. It's really interesting, actually. Jesus said that the unbeliever will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place, in some versions says utter darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth 
But the believer, night will be no more. They will need no light or of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So here we are. We've got the picture of eternity in the heavenly city of Jerusalem. There's going to be eternal light, but outside of it will be utter, outer darkness. Listen, that means this. Every single one of us, you're going to be either in eternity in the light or eternity in the darkness there's only one option and you don't start in one and go to the other it's a permanent home and dwelling yet eternal life for the believer friends listen it's already begun if you put your faith in jesus your eternal life already has begun Life has already begun, and there are incredible effects happening in you. And we return one final time to the ceremony of lights in the Feast of Tabernacles. You know what it said about that feast? There was no courtyard in all of Jerusalem that was not illuminated from the light. Not one courtyard. Do you know the Bible echoes something similarly? says in Proverbs 4.18, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Do you understand? That's what eternal life, that's what Jesus, the light of the world, is doing in you, Christian brother and sister. His light is shining brighter and brighter, and it will increase and increase until full day. So don't give up. Don't give in to despair. If you're struggling in your faith, or if you're struggling in your life with Christ, if there are shadows of sin and shadows of struggle, listen, the light is increasing as you walk with him. It's going to increase as you follow him. Follow him, know him as he's revealed himself through his word. His light will shine brighter and brighter in your life until the day he returns and brings you home. And let me end with this. I told you I was going to end with this. I'm only going to be another minute. John 8, 12 is a picture of the good news of Jesus Christ, of the gospel. Now look at this screen for a moment. I'm not going to be long. I'm going to give you four words. I've given them to you before. This is how you understand the gospel. You could draw this on a napkin and explain it to your unsaved friends in a diner with a cup of coffee. Creation, fall, redemption and restoration this is the entire sweeping narrative the arc of the entire bible that laces and threads through every single book in the bible fall creation fall redemption restoration in the beginning there was light but sin brought separation from god and with it spiritual darkness and it has impact, impacted like a contagion every single human being. But the light of the world gives life, and his name is Jesus. And we who trust in him join his mission and bring hope to those living in darkness. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. As God is working to restore all things to him. Listen, if you are still in the darkness of your sin. Do you, know, do you understand? You can know for certain that you will one day live in eternity with Jesus, the light of the world. Trust in him to forgive you for your sins. Merely ask him to forgive you and to bring you into his family and to teach you how to live 
for him. It's that simple. But if you've already done that, Christian brother and sister, this is for you, then your purpose, mine as well, is to be the light to those living in darkness, telling them of Jesus, shining with our good works so Jesus is glorified. Amen? Here it is. Jesus is the light. He exposes our hearts. He condemns it, and he opposes it to bring victory. And he brings us in mission with him all the way to the world so that all the nations, all the people groups, all the language groups get to hear of the gospel, even in your workplace and in your school and in your neighborhood. And he begins to exercise his life in your life as you follow him so that you shine brighter and brighter and brighter until the day he brings you home. That's the gospel. Amen.